word. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that you do make us holy by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that as we look at true and false uh, sanctification, true and false holiness this evening, Father, pray that you would change our lives, change our mindsets, that we might live for you better in Jesus' name. Amen. Just going to shut the phone going. Yes. Okay, so, over the last few years, there's been a lot of focus in uh, books and uh, ministries on true and false conversion. Those people who've been hoodwinked by a false gospel or half a gospel and think that they're converted when they're not. People who have heard something but know nothing of real repentance or faith. But I don't want to talk about that tonight. What I want to talk about instead is true and false sanctification. In other words, genuine believers who started the Christian life right, but then have gone wrong somewhere in their growth on the way. So think about the Galatians. Paul writes the Galatians, doesn't he? Who are believers. And he writes this in Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Uh, Let me only ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see, with the Galatians, they started off well. They'd begun the Christian life by faith and by the Spirit. But now they were trying to grow by means of works of the law and of the flesh. Now, the flesh in the scripture is not always to do with with lusts and desires, if you like. The flesh is sometimes our own efforts, our own energy, our own rules, our own thinking about how to be put right with God. So I had a study week last week, and I I took the occasion to think about some of these things. I'm going to be thinking about them a bit more next week when I've got a bit of a study week then as well, sort of doing two halves. And I just want us to think through a little bit this evening. Have we been trying to grow in Christ in the wrong way? Have I been hoodwinked into a false sanctification the same way that some are somehow tricked into a false conversion? Did I begin the right way, but now sort of taken a wrong turn the wrong way? So to help us think this through this evening, stop three points. The first is, oh, that's this morning. Okay. First point is three scenarios of sanctification. Three scenarios of sanctification. First, let me tell you about Alan. I hope there's no Alan to this evening. Uh, Alan feels a failure. He became a Christian 30 years ago in his teens, but since then he feels like he's gone backwards. Alan grew up in a strict religious home. He wasn't allowed to swear or drink or watch late night TV. But since he became a believer, he's actually struggled with all three of those things. He feels that he was holier when he was 16 than he is now. He remembers those heady days when he first became a Christian. He was so keen. He barely seemed to struggle at all. Now it's harder to find time to read the Bible. His prayers for help from God feel so shallow. He really feels his holiness is going backwards. That's Alan. But let me tell you about Ben. Ben is a teenager who grew up in a Christian home. He put his trust in Jesus at a young age. He can't remember the exact day. He'd always been a bit of a hot and cold, kind of hit and miss kind of Christian at church. But recently he's been super keen. He can't wait to get to church on a Sunday. He's been blasting out 10,000 reasons when the music plays. He's been turning up early to the youth group rather than 10 minutes late 
like he used to do. He's been turning up early to set out the chairs he's been helping out. He's started listening to Christian music at home. He's requested a study Bible for him to take to church from his parents. And everyone is really excited about it. That's Ben. Then finally, Cassandra. Cassandra is in her mid-thirties and came from a non-Christian background and came to Jesus in her early twenties. She used to be a binge drinker and a heavy smoker. Since becoming a Christian, she's quit drinking and quit smoking. She's married a lovely Christian guy. She's very active at church, morning, evening, midweek, pretty much helps on every roster, doing everything. She now reads her Bible daily, prays morning and night, and noon and night. She's kinder and friendlier than she was before. That's Cassandra. Now here's the question. Out of Alan, Ben and Cassandra, who of the three is being sanctified? Who of the three is getting more holy? Now I'm not going to ask you out loud to answer it because that would be setting you up for a fall. The answer is, you can't really tell. You can't really tell. From the information I've given you, you can't really tell who's getting more holy. You might be thinking, well Cassandra, she's obvious, you know, came from that really difficult background. Let me tell you something about Cassandra that I didn't tell you before. Cassandra is terrified. She's absolutely terrified. She's really insecure about her salvation. She's never quite sure that she's going to heaven. She's never really quite sure that she's in the kingdom. So she fills that void with frenetic activity. If she misses her Bible reading, she spends the day convinced that God will turn on her and damn her to hell. She sort of understands salvation by faith alone in her head, but in her heart she wants backup. Just in case that's not quite right, or just in case her faith is not quite enough to save her from the angry God that she believes in. So with her action, is she really getting holier? Is that what we'd want to say? Is she really getting closer to her Heavenly Father? You see, on the surface it looks like holiness, doesn't it? But it's motivated by fear and bad theology. What about Ben? I wonder if you've worked out what's happening with Ben, the teenager. Ben fancies somebody in the youth group. That's what's going on. He knows she's really godly, and he's been trying to impress her. That's not to say that Ben is not a Christian, but the progress that he seems to be making is not real progress. And when she rejects him, unfortunately she probably will, Ben's holiness will take a severe hit. Because it wasn't really holiness to begin with. And it can be more broad than this, can't it? Making the effort to please a spouse or a a parent, doing things for that. Making the effort to please a pastor, apparently that happens. Making the effort to want to fit in. But all of them share that same root. Actually, what that person wants to do is please people rather than please God. It's for the approval of people that they're after. It's what the Pharisees did but just with a Christian flavour. Well, what about poor Alan? Well, one option is that Alan really is going backwards. I don't want to be clichéd and sort of say, well, you know, he's the opposite of all the rest of them. Just like there will be Ben's and Cassandra's who really are going forward, Alan may really be in trouble and need some big help. But perhaps, you know, it could be that Alan hasn't quite understood what sanctification looks like. The encouraging word in Alan's story was struggle. Do you notice that? Struggle. Alan wants to live for God. 
his perceived lack of progress saddens him. He's really upset about it. He feels that there's something wrong with his so-called shallow prayers for help. You see, sanctification, as we're going to see, is a long slog, and there are slow points. But that doesn't mean, necessarily, that we're not growing. Also, if you think about it, Alan came from that really strict religious upbringing. He's had to change the reasons for his behaviour too. He's come out of a climate of fear and false morality, and now he's had to do some thinking about why he actually wants to obey God, why he wants to do those good things. Why he does what he does. And that means that there, there might be some wobbles along the way as he starts to make that transition. As he turns away from things that were masking his sinful nature and begins to actually tackle the real issues deep down. So what can we take from these three examples? Well, our second point is that motive and method matter. Motive and method matter. You see, holiness does not consist of results alone. The motive and the method matter as well. Ben and Cassandra had results, but their motives were way off. What they had wasn't genuine holiness. Think of how Paul talks about the holiness or the righteousness that he had before he was a believer. This is Philippians 3, 4 to 11. I think you've got it on the back of your notice sheets. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, that word again, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What Paul's saying here is that he had to ditch that old righteousness that he had, that old sort of list, and get a new one, one that comes by faith in Christ. And if you'd have met Paul before he became a Christian, you'd have looked at his life, wouldn't you, and probably thought that he was super holy. You think about what sort of lifestyle he led, uh, but actually he says now he counts that as rubbish compared to knowing Christ. He wasn't even a Christian That wasn't true holiness, if you like. That's how stupid this holiness was. His motive in what he was doing was trying to establish his own righteousness. That's what he was doing. He was trying to get in God's good books. And that's not a good motive for holiness, is it? He had only a form of godliness, but not the real deal. So Paul had to start from scratch. It wasn't like that he had some good things to begin with and then he sort of added Christ to his spiritual trophy cabinet, the sort of cherry on the the cake. He realised that all his old trophies were fakes and the ones in Christ were all the ones that counted. So part of my question for us this evening is have we hung on to our fake trophies that we had before? Our old moralities based on bad theology 
rather than rethinking and repenting of our old works and character? Have we got that sort of fake holiness and just carried it into our Christian lives? Our motives must be the right ones if it's to be true godliness, or of this in point three. But that means that they can't come from fear. Fear is not something that should motivate us to godliness. That means that they can't come from people-pleasing. It's not for the approval of others that we do things. And that means they can't come from trying to get into God's good books. Any holiness we think we have from those sources is fake. And it needs rethinking. So motive massively matters. The method also massively matters as well. The Bible says that we're to put our sin to death by the Spirit. That's what we read in Romans and elsewhere. That's our method, if you like, by the Spirit. But what does that mean, though? Well, at the very least, it will mean that our method will be different from the world around us. If you think about it, we read that list, didn't we, in in Galatians 5. The world can stop doing some of those things. And it does, doesn't it? We, We hear about people who turn their lives around. But they can't do it by the Spirit. That's not an option for them, is it? Because they don't have the Spirit. So there are people who turn over new leaves, aren't they? By sheer willpower or clever techniques and stop doing these things. But they're not doing them by the Spirit. So when it talks about putting to death by the Spirit, it can't just be what the world does. It can't just be sheer willpower. But nor is it that when we become a Christian, we just can expect God to zap us with holiness. That's not what I'm saying either, as though we sort of sit there and and wait. It's not just a case of praying for the Spirit to do something in our lives. We actually have a part to play too. Putting to death is an active thing, and we're to do it by the Spirit. So those are the wrong methods and the, the wrong motives. What are the right methods and the right motives? What does real sanctification look like? That's our last heading. Real sanctification. Real sanctification carries on where we started out. Not moving on from where we started, but going deeper into the gospel. What are its motives, real sanctification? Not fear, not people-pleasing, not works righteousness, not even gratitude. I don't know if you hear that. Uh, I've heard that quite often. The motive in the Bible that's given normally for our sanctification is faith. Faith. When people are ungodly in the Bible, God doesn't tend to rebuke them for, say, their lack of gratitude, but their lack of faith. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. It's not so much that they're ungrateful to God, though they are, but actually it's that they don't trust him to provide for their need. It's their lack of faith that is singled out as the cause of their ungodliness. Now that's not to say that gratitude doesn't play a part in our holiness. So Romans 12 verse 1 implores us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy towards us. But we do so trusting God, don't we, for the outcome. We don't do that in a sort of tit-for-tat way. You know, you did something to me, for me, so I'll do something for you. That's the danger that sometimes gratitude can turn into to that. No, Romans is the book, if you think about it, of justification by faith. Faith alone. And that's how God's mercy that it's talking about there is shown. In our justification by faith alone. 
And that's the motive behind our action, our faith. We trust God, and so we live a godly life. What's the method there? Faith. Faith is also the method. Faith in what God has done for us in Christ. Faith in the gospel. What I mean is that our sanctification should flow from our justification. If you don't know what those long words mean, what I'm saying is that we, um, the way that we are right with God should fuel our holiness. Our holiness doesn't get us right with God. It's the other way around. But we're not just saved by faith. The Bible talks about us walking by faith. And that's the implication made by Paul too within the Galatians, when he reminded them that they'd begun by faith. The implication was they were supposed to have carried on just like that. So our sanctification is by faith. And it flows from our justification by faith. False teachers often have it the other way around, don't they? As we were saying, that our right standing comes from our right living. But actually it's the other way around. We believe that God has declared us not guilty. We believe that Jesus has dealt with our sin on the cross. That our old selves were crucified with Christ. So Romans 6, 6 and 11. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And then verse 11. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there is that we have been crucified with Christ and now we must live as though we've been crucified with Christ. We trust in what God has done. We live out the reality by faith. Also in Galatians, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying is we take the truth of justification, that we have been declared righteous, that we've died with Christ, and we apply it to our lives. So we don't go against reality, so to speak, we go with it. This is really who we are in Christ, and we believe it. I say, though, that we go with reality, but it's, it's a battle, isn't it? It's a struggle. We don't see the progress that we would like. We still live with indwelling sin. Paul, as a believer, felt it too. He wrote in Romans 7, 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's how Paul felt sometimes. But he kept going, didn't he? And we had to keep going in the midst of suffering, in the midst of struggle, trusting God, walking by faith, fighting by faith. So faith is our method. A righteousness from faith, for faith. And what keeps us going in the gap that we see and what we believe? Hope. Hope keeps us going, doesn't it? So Romans 8, 23 to 24. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. The day is coming, isn't it, when faith will turn to sight and what we hope for will appear. One day that groaning that we feel in our bodies, in our lives now as we long to be more holy, one day that groaning will stop. The battle will stop. As sure as today is Sunday. 
But for now, we press on in hope of what is to come. We believe what is to come, don't we? Uh, Forgive me, Lord of the Rings illustration. Lord of the Rings illustration, the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's desperate, isn't it? It's a battle, it's hard. They're, They're standing firm in this fortress. But if they can just make it through till morning, that's when the dawn will rise. That's when the battle will be won. Finally. And it encourages them to keep going. If they survive the night, the reinforcements are coming in the morning. And that should encourage us too. It might feel hard, it might feel difficult. We press on now because we know what's coming. The victory is sure, so we press on in hope. So it's by faith, it's hope in the gap. What does it look like? What does that hopeful holiness look like? It looks like love. There you go, faith, hope and love. Love. Or to expand on that, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. We begin by the Spirit and we go on by the Spirit. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans 5. Love and the Holy Spirit are intricately linked in the Bible. So we grow more like Jesus most loving person who ever lived. We love more like Jesus. Loving God more than we love our sin. Letting his love for us and our love for him transform us as we delve deeper into our understanding of it. And so this is what Paul prays for believers consistently in scripture. That they go deeper, go into the roots of God's love to help them live holy lives. So this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is what godliness looks like, what sanctification looks like. There's still more to say, but I'm going to be thinking about that a bit more next week. But have we got true sanctification that flows from faith, thrives by hope, and shows itself in love? Or have we ended up with fake trophies by other means? Well, let's pray that God would help us to see real growth. And to finish this, I want us to pray a prayer together. It's that prayer from Ephesians. But I've just reworded it so that it's worded from us uh, to God. And I want us to pray this together. I'll put it words on the screen. So we're going to pray this together before we uh, sing another song and then have some food. So let's pray together. Father God, we pray that according to the riches of your glory... You may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ and strength to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.